Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and today we're going to be looking at what we could call the radiance of all things and exploring how it is that we learn to see more deeply. I would perhaps call that learning to see with the eyes of our heart. And we have with us today... um, a man who's really um, a master of that. Um, we are welcoming back to the Yoga Hour, Mark Nepo. And Mark is a poet, teacher, storyteller, and a best-selling author. He's published 20 books and recorded 14 uh, audio projects. He was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by Age Nation and was named by Watkins Body, Mind, Spirit as one of the 100 most spiritually influential living people. He's a regular columnist for Spirituality and Health um, magazine. Uh, I think most important is that Mark um, lives what he teaches and he um, shows us a way that we can reach into our own depths by showing how he reaches into his and his uh, latest book that we're going to be drawing from today is called Things That Join the Sea and the Sky, Field Notes on Living, which it is and it's many, many windows into the soul, into a soulful way of being. His websites are marknepo.com that's uh, M-A-R-K-N-E-P-O.com and threeintentions.com Mark, welcome back I'm so delighted that you're back with me on Yoga Hour today. Oh, thank you, and thank you for that kind introduction. It's always wonderful to explore together. It really is, and um, before we begin our conversation, let's begin just with a moment of centering meditation, which we call our yoga moment, yoga being that practice by which we bring our attention and our awareness to consciously abide in the essence of our being. So let's do that. One breath is all it takes, one conscious breath, one intentional breath to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. So as we breathe now, let's simply become aware of our breath and that profound practice of breathing, which we of course do 
all the time and once in a while become aware of it. And as we do, we have the potential of becoming aware of ourself on many levels of our being, the physical, we feel the breath, and then intentionally we can imagine or feel we're drawing the breath within to the depths of our own being. So with the in-breath, feel that you are diving within into the infinite, unbounded ocean of consciousness that is within you. And with the out-breath, letting go and simply letting your attention and awareness drop down into the core of your being or drop in to the core of your being. And with each breath that you feel now, feel that your heart, your essence of being is opening and expanding. You're letting go of distraction. And taking this moment to simply be aware, aware of the breath, aware of being, aware of the peace that we say passes all understanding that's there in the depths below the surface of things. And from that depth now within us, let's call forth the peace of the soul, the inner radiance within us to shine a light before us today, that we may see with the eye of the heart all things in their intrinsic radiance. May we recognize the divine light in everyone we meet, May we share our peace with them. Peace, peace, peace. Just as we were intending to touch in that yoga moment below the surface of things, just letting, I like to say, letting our mind sink into our heart, you know, coming away from that discursive think, 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 just stopping for a moment, letting our thoughts settle and opening to that radiance of the soul, the deep awareness within us. And Mark Nepo, our guest today, has um, an amazing way of helping us reconnect to our depths. And and I and I I believe that's because you know when I read Mark's work, it's because um, Mark, you are always um, sort of laying bare your own soul and showing us again and again how you connect to your own depths in the everyday wonder of life at the kitchen table, having a cup of mm-hmm. coffee with your wife, um, petting the dog, or in moments of um, deep 
uh, loss or struggle or pain, always I see you as this pilgrim of the soul. And um, and in your book now, things that join the sea and the sky, really giving us the field notes um, of your of your journey. Um, so I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your work in the world and grateful for this wonderful book now. And you mentioned that this book was 15 years in the making and um, I, I can, as a writer, I can understand that. Uh-huh. Um, but tell me a little bit about um, how, how you see that, the 15 years that allowed this book to come uh, forward and what inspired you to put this book together as you did. Yeah, thank you. And, and thank you for that. I think, let me just first say, as you were, were sharing all that, and I so appreciate uh, what you were saying, that, you know, anything that I offer is is an example and not an instruction. And that that by being who we are and being willing to compare notes on what it is to be here, we are more together than alone. And so th- this book really comes out of years and years of journaling. And so the first thing is that, you know, uh, a journal is so different than a diary. You know, a diary is an, a record of our outward intersections with the world of circumstance and where we go and what we do. But a journal is a place where we get to maintain a conversation with the universe, a conversation with life. It's where we work with the teachers that are around us, the surprises, the losses, the truth of what it is to be who we are in, in any one moment. So, so in this, this journal, I've always journaled for years and years and years, but what I did was I took the last 15 years and I, I tracked the, because I retrieve these things that I write. I certainly am part of it. I wouldn't say I'm channeling, but I'm in conversation and I'm working with the questions, confusions, dreams, images, wonder, glow, anything that really touches me or stirs me or stops me. And then once once I have a sense of them, I need to work with them. I need to stay in conversation. And sometimes what comes are, are when I'm clear enough are stories that are beyond me, stories of other lives and other sufferings and other wanderings. So what I did was assemble about, I think there's 145 or 147 uh, of these that I have been in conversation with and worked with and organize them in sections because what I'm going through is just part of what we all go through. Mm-hmm. So I organized them in, in or archetypal sections uh, such as, you know, um, stopping the pain and uh, letting go of our fear and, and the radiance in all things and you know, burning off what's unnecessary and the strength of our kindness. These are the kind of sections in the book. And if anyone's then moved, I I have a whole section, as you know, in the back that as a guide to 
to starting your own journal, mm -hmm. including a hundred journal questions I've saved mm -hmm. for years of teaching. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I found, of course, reading the book that that the book itself um, is a is a call to um, that kind of conscious um, observance and beyond observance participation in the process of our life. I really like what you said about you know. Um, having a conversation with life with the universe and um certainly i i that is my practice also and i find when i when i am faithful to that you know when i am uh, exploring uh what comes and what um what touches me so you know in this process and i i I'm guessing it's the same for you because I see that in your book. It's not, it's not necessarily, as you say, like a diary, like what happens in a day. It's what opens in a day. You yes. know, what, what captures your deep attention, what stops you. And it, it's almost like, um, a, in a sense, like life as a dream and, um, you know, that ephemeral nature of it where there's certain things that speak to us in, you could say, a symbolic way or as an entry point. And um, so you have shown us so many ways to do that. And um, would you would you read us something um, sure. from this new book? Yeah, and I think I think I want to just add, too, that this process we're talking about, whether you write it down or not, it really is a process of of reflection and expression that helps anyone be alive. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you and I just happen to write it down. You know, yeah. Um, this, yeah, this is a, a moment that opened up. It, it's on page five in the book called "Speechless." I pause under that summer tree. The one that feels like a friend as my dog wonders why we've stopped. She was trotting in such rhythm. But when this still, I wonder what part of me way down remains untouched by dream or memory. What drop of being remains out of reach of the opinions of others? When up close, each thing reveals its shimmer. And it's the unexpected closeness that holds everything together. The light spreads across my dog's face, her eyes so devoted to whatever I, to wherever I want to go. Can I be this devoted to the pull of life? Last month I saw a dolphin and her calf slip back into the surf, and the pucker of the sea where they went under said, this is what it feels like to shimmer and go speechless. There's a closeness we recognize in everything simple, as if we knew everything at the moment of our birth and living is how we remember it all, piece by broken piece. It can happen when I stop to pick up what you drop in the supermarket. As your eyes shimmer, I realize we've known each other forever, though we just met. Mm. That is so, so... Beautiful. Thank you, Mark. And, and of course, in this particular piece that you've chosen, um, you're pointing to uh, where 
writing and some of the best writing of horse takes us, which is beyond the words. You know, what is beyond words? What's beyond that discursive mind? What is it when we go speechless and see into the depths of things? Um, well, in the words, yes, the words only point. You know, that's one of the wonderful paradoxes of uh of writing in the first place is that the only things worth writing about are the things that can't be said. <laughs> and, you know, there's a wonderful story of Buddha teaching to his uh, students, uh, and it was under after dinner under the moonlight, and, and they were so attentive, and then he stopped and he said, you know, um, my, my teachings are just fingers pointing to the moon. Make sure you look at the moon. Mm-hmm. And in that way, everything we do is really pointing uh, to a window. You know, a great teacher of this for me was um, uh, John Singer Sargent, the painter. He has a wonderful painting called The Venetian Interior. And um, I saw it when I was in my 20s, and it so imprinted me because it's a, it's a, a painting of a dark room in Venice with a woman kind of sadly staring with her hand on her knee. But in the upper left is a very is a very tiny um, little window with light. And, mm. and it, it insists that, that there's a whole world of sunlight outside the frame of the painting. Mm-hmm. I've always felt that poetry is like that. It's always pointing beyond the frame of the painting. Absolutely. And that is, um, of course, what... It's a mystery, isn't it, when it happens, you know, when you're a writer, if you're writing in your journal, um, or you're writing poetry, you you start off one place. And, you know, my experience is, ideally, there is that moment where it opens and um, and in your field notes um, on living, what I'm what I'm experiencing is that um, you're you're showing how those moments, as you say, whether you're writing them down or simply observing them, are there for us every day. They're just moments of then we could call them moments of transcendence, um, perhaps. And by that I mean transcending our ordinary. Um, a confined self and feeling our connection um, to one another more profoundly, feeling our connection to the universe, feeling our place in the oneness of things. So, um, in the Hindu tradition, um, Mark, I'm going to stop you just a moment and tell you that we're having a little trouble with your mic, and so if you can unplug it and try plugging it in again. Um, I'm sorry to our listeners. We had that little moment there. Okay. Is that better? Okay. Yes, it's much better. Thank you. Thank you. So Upaguru means the teacher that is next to you at this moment. And of course, there's always a teacher next to us at this moment if we can at least uh, stay open. And no one can stay open all the time, but we don't have to worry because as soon as we look up, uh, there's another one right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in in the yoga tradition, there's also a story about 
uh, a devotee who who had many, many many gurus and there's a list of the gurus and the and the gurus are you know the bird um the tree and uh, so often you know there's a lineage of people but in this um story it is um that presence around us you know um that that the teaching is coming to us from everywhere we look and of course of course it would be that way since this reality that we live and move and have our being in is everywhere. You know, it's yes. in everyone, it's in everything. And so, um, uh, you know, for me, I feel most um, fully alive when I have that um, sense of connection. And, you know, a lot of your work, Mark, um, I observe is about that sense when we actually don't feel that connection. Um, which is interesting, you know, it's this times of suffering and darkness and sorrow and um, finding our way through that. And I think you have shown is, you know, many of the mystics have shown that our actually our longing and our sorrow at that particular juncture is our connection. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, we are connected through so everything connects us. And there's a paradox about um, you know, certainly the wonder of, of being transparent to the miracle, which is everywhere, um, does open us. But yes, as you say, you know, pain and wonder both open us. And of course, the added kind of rub about pain is if we just break and are not broken open, it can keep us from that miracle. And that's why we need each other. You know, we can drown in loss or we can we can find we can become a fish <laughs> and 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 it's always a very fine line between it. Um, and I think we need the. I think life has been made just difficult enough that we need each other to, to ensure the journey of love. Yeah. And and to um, have a way of knowing ourselves, um, right? Because, um, you know, for me as a spiritual teacher, um, you know, one of the dangers for all spiritual teachers is um, the sense of um, appearing, you know, the sense of appearing as as an expert, um, you know, and, and as you said, what you're offering is an example, you know, that try this, you know, for someone, you're not, you're not giving uh, instruction. And so for me as a teacher, I find, you know, um, there can be that um, edge of, you know, being, quote unquote, the expert, which you never want to be because then you're fossilized, right? right. So I find as a yogini, um, to be married is the best cure for that because, <laughs> because uh, you know, when you're in an intimate relationship, your, your, your fossilized edges um, get honed, you know, like the, like the surf, the sea will bring break away the sharp edges of the cliffs. Um, you know, marriage is like that. Family is like that. I have grandchildren now and, um, oh, they're, awesome. they're fabulous for, you know, stirring us awake. So, um, so would you read to us a little more before we, uh, get ready to go to the yeah, break here? We'd love to sure. hear something else from the things that join the sea and the sky field notes on living. This is a new book by our guest, Mark Nepo. So th this is um, 
And this is one. This is a story that that really came through me. When we're open, as I said, we receive the stories of others. This is called the symmetry of kindness. The train slammed into the station, injuring hundreds. The engineer was critically hurt. People toppled over each other, bouncing across seats and against windows. There was blood and glass everywhere. One woman shimmied her way to the platform when part of the station ceiling fell, pinning her. She thought she would die. Then the hands of fellow passengers lifted her one to another, and she was saved. Later, she wanted to say thank you, but didn't know who to thank. Once on the mend, she retrieved a list of those who were with her that day. Now, one by one, she looks them up, asking if they had helped her. Each of them smiles and says, no. Once with them, she can see what each needs, and so she helps them along. She unpacks groceries for an old woman listens to a widower's story, and gives a single mom her umbrella. This has gone on for weeks. She keeps trying to find those who helped her, only to help those she finds. Mm. Finally, it occurs to her that this is God's symmetry of kindness. She will never know who helped her, so she can thank and help everyone she meets along the way. Ah. Thank you. And of course, of course, this is what I mean about by being in conversation. I didn't know where that story would lead or what its insight or lesson would be until I arrived there. Mm -hmm. Just keeping my heart open and in conversation with that. Mm -hmm. And it's God's symmetry of kindness. Such a beautiful insight and and a universal one you know when we open ourselves um, to see uh, how we are so connected I, in one of my poems I, I wrote the line can you imagine me without you impossible mm. so it's a it's a love poem um, can be a love poem, you know, to one's beloved. But of course, it's a it's a love poem and a gratitude poem uh, to the universe itself. You know, can you imagine? You know, any of us imagine ourselves? You know, without everyone who has made it possible for us to be alive you know parents grandparents um, the Mm -hmm. the farm farm workers who are working in the field who picked the strawberries that we had for breakfast um the potter who turned the bowl that we eat from i mean once you start thinking about it it is it, it is well of course it's infinite you know what and um and and to be able to open to that um, symmetry, as you say, or that web of kindness is so uh, profound. So you are listening to the Yoga Hour this morning with special guest Mark Nepo. And um, we will be right back with you after the break.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Today I stand firmly in my faith. I meet life courageously and confidently, seeing beyond appearances to underlying good. Through faith, I overcome every limitation. I know that God's power within me is greater than any situation I may have to meet or overcome. God is greater than any condition or circumstance. Through faith, I am fearless and free. This inspirational message is brought to you by Daily Word. Daily Word. Inspiration and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. Give daily word to yourself or friend and give the gift of hope, joy, peace, and encouragement. Order your subscriptions today online at dailyword.com. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. Take a trip with Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Central and tune in to World Spirituality. A lifelong student and practitioner of many world spiritual teachings, Paul guides you to the unity and common values shared by all world religions. We really are all connected. Take a journey with Paul and explore our planet's spiritual landscape with insight, humor, and practical advice for all. Join the show with your question or comment right here on Unity Online Radio. Have you looked at Unity Magazine lately? It's been beautifully redesigned, and it's full of interesting in-depth articles and interviews from today's spiritual thought leaders. You'll find science, spirituality, and healing with a look at Eastern philosophies and completely new ways to interpret the Bible, plus the latest spiritual books and music. There's a little news from Unity Village, and some of your questions might be answered too. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to The Yoga Hour. Um, Today... I'm having a wonderful conversation with Mark Nepo, author of many books. Um, the one in particular that we're looking at today, a new one, is called Things That Join the Sea and the Sky, Field Notes on Living. And there are many um, 
entries here and, of course, sections that are universal in nature, the way the book is organized, um, that are about um, th- things that we all deal with, all we grapple that we all grapple with. The first section is called Stopping the Noise, and um, we all want to do that. (laughs) I Uh mean, there's enough external noise around us, but I think noise is, of course, more than sound now. You know, there's the noise um, of things, the noise of the pressure of time and commitments, the noise of the news, the noise of the world. So um, that's a great place for us to to look at um, how we're all dealing with stopping the noise. Um, would you read to us from that section, Mark? Sure. And um, and let me just first say a word or two about what, what you just opened with the noise, because I think I think one of the, there's of course the natural noises of the of life and the world, you know, building itself and dismantling itself and reforming itself, and even in nature when we're in silence, it's filled with a symphony. Of, of unexpected no- noises, but the noise of civilization, you know, the noise that we manufacture to prevent us from dropping into the depth of life is really menacing, quietly menacing, uh, paradoxically, because it really feels like, you know, you know, everywhere you go into a cafe, there's just, there's something blaring because we're so afraid of that silence and um and really it's our friend so this is this is quieting the thieves on page two of the new book today i am sad or so i thought but more i am tired of keeping up with all that doesn't matter i'm sipping coffee listening to rain i like watching the leaves hang in long weather I like to close my eyes and feel the rain quiet the earth. I welcome that quieting. I like to have my habits of going here and there interrupted. I was caught in the rain when coming here. The cool blotches sink in all over. The many lists I carry in my shirt are wet. I take them out to dry and all the tasks have blurred. At last, (laughs) unreadable forgettable. We carry these lists near our heart and finger them like worry beads. It doesn't matter what is on them. They are the thieves, and it is the insidious virtue to have everything in order before we live that is the greatest thief. I feel the rain drip down my neck. I think I'm becoming unfinished. <sighs> yeah, thank you, and you so know, much for that. You know, you're welcome. And again, it's that sense, the reward for opening our hearts to the Upaguru, the teacher that is next to us at that mo- at this moment is, I didn't, you know, the inside of that poem at the end, that the, the greatest thief is the insidious virtue that has us believe that everything has to be in order before we live. I didn't know that insight before. I was in the rain and had the the things on my list blurred, and then I started to stop and be with it and be in conversation with it, and then that was the reward for that expression. Mm-hmm. And of course, 
like much of what you write, um, it's really a reminder because, you know, my sense is, of course, you know that, <laughs> like we, like we, we know that. And yet, and yet, um, we can forget and get caught up in the list. Um, and, you know what is so interesting about the list, um, which you, of course, touch on in this without saying it in th- this way, but um, somehow we get seduced into thinking the list um, is our life. The list is our importance. The list is our um, – that what we accomplish um, – indicates who we are well and there's a there's interestingly this is this is a very kind of subtle inversion that all it's part of being human but that we all go through and that is we we create things like lists to help us live to help serve us and then there's this unexpected inversion where we serve the list Mm-hmm. Exactly. Think, and, and, you know, and we can say, oh, well, now that we've talked about it, I won't do that again. Well, yes, we will, because we're human. <laughs> so the question is, how do we become aware of it so we can course correct when it happens? And I think this is it's just like, you know, having written this about the lists and quieting the thieves. Does it mean I don't keep lists? No, of course I do. Mm-hmm. But. That my practice, I actually have a practice around lists. You know, every day I do make a list. And then I remember, especially having been, you know, a long-term cancer survivor, how rare it is to be here at all. And then I say, okay, if this is the only day I have left, what stays on the list? Mm-hmm. And then I proceed to take off the list, most of the list. Mm. And even put on things, you know, that I didn't have on the list, like call my oldest friend to tell him I love him, even though he already knows it. Mm. And and so I feel like every day part of my practice is to generate the list and remove the list. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I love the practice of making sure, if we're going to have a list, that we have what really matters on the list. Um, because most of the time, I, I think the lists are about um, things that we feel we need to accomplish, and oftentimes they're important, but they are actually not what really matters. And so making that profound distinction um, is important. Is, is, is important to us. Well, it's very interesting, you know, that in, I've discovered this in, in, this is part of the next book that's coming out, but, um, you know, I discovered you mentioned that we do define ourselves often by what we do. And it's interesting that a thousand years ago, the Native American nations, uh, especially in, in North America, um, you know, this, there's just an ethic in Native American way of life where they didn't define who they are by what they did. They actually uh, traded and and shifted roles. So like one winter, I might plant corn, another I might repair teepees, and another I might be take a turn as the warrior in the tribe, protecting the tribe. And so who they were was part of a living community, and they weren't, they didn't their identities weren't tied to one skill. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's a very interesting thing that we've lost in this in our modern age of specialization. Yeah, I'm, as you say that, it's a beautiful teaching, and, and I'm thinking about life in our meditation center in San Jose, and the the devotees who come to serve there often follow that model <laughs> because oh. as a spiritual practice, they are doing whatever's needed and they come in that spirit, you know, whatever is needed. And the interesting thing is that, um, a, a lot, you know, a person might, might come in to serve in an area that is really not their area of expertise, but it's an opening for the universe, God, spirit, whatever you call it, to um, move through that person and allow something to happen that wouldn't happen otherwise. And so I've seen this again and again in our community where, um, and it's true of many spiritual communities that, that, that people come in and they come to serve. Um, often those who come, you know, with their expertise, um, to serve don't do very well um, because they're trying they're trying to bring you know what what succeeded in the business world for them into that environment what works best in that environment is uh, when we can be completely willing to do what's needed and then uh, you know life has its way with us so i've seen that now for for you know 35 years well, and it's, it's, it's very interesting that um there is kind of an archetypal cycle of exploration, mastery, and abandonment where we are never quite alive in a certain in, – in a way as when we're learning, as when we're beginning. And then there's a more subtle kind of inhabitation of embodiment when we approach some mastery of some skill or way. And, and then – and this is the hardest for all of us – abandonment not of what we know – but of being masterful so that we can be be a beginner again. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, of course, the beautiful saying from Suzuki Roshi, you know, um, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's um, ideally. And, and I have found, um, I've had the blessing of meeting, you know, many masters in my life, you know, masters of yoga, masters in their, in, uh, masters of writers, masters in their field. And um, those are the people who are the most humble. That has been my experience. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think, isn't that amazing? You know, they're they're the most serviceful, the most warm, the most um, humanly available, and yet, um, and, you know, the most revered um, for their uh, knowledge and their position in the world. But the ones who are genuine are not standing on a pedestal. They're right there on the ground serving you know, doing what's needed. That's my... That makes so much sense. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder if um, I can ask you to read something else from this book. It's uh, wonderful to hear you read it. And of course, to to read it myself, I've been enjoying the book, um, having, having me reflect on the themes that are there and also, you know, my own practice of writing each day, um, paying attention to uh, what is arising. 
Yeah, thank you. So this is a small piece on page 91 called Etched. We are so forgetful that only pain makes us remember. Yet here is a scar on my wrist, and I can't recall how I got it. Am I getting old, or is this the miracle of healing? We've been told that scars are ugly. I think they're beautiful traces of how we're touched by life. To have no blemish means we've fallen through time with no meeting. What's the point? To die unchanged is to be an arrow that never lands. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. No, thank I think you. about those ways in which we bumped up against life, um, against our own edges. And if we are fortunate um, in those places where there is pain, where there is sorrow, the places where there are the scars, um, we, we, they're redemptive places, you know, and I think a lot of times, you know, that's just pure grace, <laughs> you know, like how something becomes redemptive, um, it's that there's an element of grace there. And I think about um, the things that happen to us um, that you know, leave us wondering, you know, for example, how do I forgive? You know, we're betrayed. How do I forgive? And in my experience, we, we actually can't. <laughs> we, we, we can't just say, I want to forgive this. I want to forgive this person. But um, somehow knowing that forgiveness can occur and it's something that occurs beyond our own um, uh, ability, let me put it that way, for at least from the egoic level, that um, we become willing to forgive. We become willing to have life change us. And then yeah. my experience is that forgiveness is like a dropping away of, you know, what we've been holding on to. But there's a grace that happens that allows that release. Is that something close to your experience too well i think yes i mean i think i think i would hold it this way that i i know and i think forgiveness is such a uh a deep and mysterious thing and i think it doesn't involve grace when it happens and i think that let me start with this i think that you know justice and healing sometimes they're the same thing and sometimes one leads to another and often they don't happen at the same time and Mm -hmm. in this world sometimes we're asked to choose between justice and healing and so i think what we're asked to my understanding of forgiveness in my life has been when i am at because the word forgive means exchange it means to give for Mm -hmm. and the exchange is i have found is not really with the people who have been violating or done a trespass. The exchange is that I exchange the wounds I carry so that I can regain a whole heart in order to return to living wholeheartedly and fully. And, you know, I think 
a a real example for me is you know my both my parents who are gone and I had a you know the difficult up, upbringing and you know probably within the range of what a lot of people experience but the point is that um I can remember being in my 40s I'm now 67 and I think I was naturally healing from whatever we did or didn't do to with each other or to each other but I was somehow keeping those wounds alive mm. and I suddenly realized I was keeping them alive in case there would ever be a trial mm-hmm. so that I'd have fresh evidence. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, I was waiting for my own law and order episode. And mm-hmm. uh, when I was naturally healing and I had to choose, did I want to be whole or did I want to keep having these wounds fresh, which I was now keeping fresh yes. long, long after the, the, the wounds were inflicted. Um, and so that was very powerful for me. I think we are asked to exchange at some point our hurts and woundedness um, so that we can regain a whole heart. And I think with whether it's from just living, the friction of living or 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 loss, or being ill, or whatever our pain or heartbreak comes from. There's another paradox in that um, often the heart, the tears that come from heartbreak, water what's been opened and brought to the surface in the break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know how that works, <laughs> but it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I mean about there's a, whatever we call it, grace, um, and that comes in that opening that allows the heart to be restored. And I, I think we can have a, a posture in life, and we do um, as we mature, and I think as we awaken spiritually, um, we, we can have a posture of asking, you know, of asking to see. Um, I have a recent poem, a new poem that was just um, received honorable mention in the um, Passager uh, 2018 Poetry Prize. So they're going to publish oh, it. congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So they're going to publish it uh, in the uh, next journal of uh, Passager Journal. But I'd like to read that one. It's just um, sure. so appropriate to our conversation. It's called, What to Do When You Cannot Love. When you cannot love someone... Ask to see them before the fall, before their eyes grew dim, before their heart grew dark. Ask to see the light they arrived with. Ask to see the golden child. Then watch the lion of time devour it, feeding on its innocence. Once you see, no one will escape your heart. No one, not even you, who stumbled and fell, fleeing the lion. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's a wonderful poem. Yeah. It was really my um, prayer about... You know, how we can keep our heart open in the midst of, 
you know, terrible acts, people who who um, mm-hmm. who perpetrate perpetrate things that that we just consider unforgivable, whether it's in the public sphere, which we've seen a lot of lately, or you know, privately, people who betray us, and so this is what came to me, you know, that when we see someone, we can ask to see beyond that behavior and to see the humanity and ultimately to see our common humanity and our own fallibility um, is part of that healing process. Yeah, that's a wonderful poem. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I'm, I'm grateful to Passager and their journal for, for selecting it. And we'll look forward to that one coming out. Um, I Our time is just going so quickly and i want to ask if you have a short piece you could read us um, before we conclude so this is toward the end of the book and it's called becoming a small gesture and i make reference to ganesh Mm -hmm. which i'm sure many of your listeners know but ganesh is the hindu uh deity that is the provider and remover of obstacles which i so love because that means that obstacles are teachers and it's all and Ganesh is often portrayed, as you know, I'm sure, as an elephant with four arms. Um, and it's this with and I'm surrounded. I, I didn't realize it, but I collect Ganeshes. <laughs> I keep getting them and they're all around me in my study here. So, so this is called Becoming a Small Gesture. Maybe all my sufferings have been carving me into a statue of Ganesh that someone will find in the next life in a small store in New York, when they rush in to get out of the rain. Maybe all I've been through will draw them to pick me up and touch my long trunk or one of my forgiving hands. And though they can't afford to take me home, they might circle the store three times before putting me on their credit card. (laughs) Because something in the way life has carved my eyes shut speaks to the unawakened song they carry that they so desperately want to sing. Maybe they'll take me home and place me on their nightstand where I can bless them as they dream of being who they are. Mm. Well, your your book um, and your books um, certainly do carry that spirit Mark, you know, that embody that spirit of um, being the remover of obstacles. Oh, and, and as you um, were sharing about, you know, the image of Ganesh, and, you know, of course, I'm sitting in my study and accompanied by Ganesh as well. <laughs> I, I have I have one little statue of Ganesh where he's he's writing in a book. So <laughs> that's oh. really a helpful one. Um, but uh, I want to say that, of course, the, one of the profound symbols of Ganesh is is this um, hu- this combination of the human body, uh, human you know legs and feet and arms and the elephant's head, you know, which of course signifies that you know Ganesh is a symbol of of oneness, um, and it's the meeting of the human and the divine. You know that elephant's head symbolizing infinity, um, spirit, and then you know the the human human body is there. So 
as a symbol, you know, to remove obstacles, it, it, it's a teaching that, in a sense, we could say God is right where you are, you know, the soul in your heart, in your mind, in your life. And um, so what removes obstacles for us <laughs> is becoming aware of that, you know, of yeah. that. And, and I, think, yeah. I think also, which I love this little story about Ganesh, is, is that because it also represents the embodiment and that we that we can't escape our incarnation or our humanness. I mean, um, most uh, things of Ganesh, and I don't not all of them, but most representations. On one hand, he has a broken tusk, mm-hmm. and that the story is that Ganesh met an obstacle himself and got so angry that he broke off his own tusk and threw it at the moon, and the moon. <laughs> laughed at him, spit it out, and threw it back at him. And so <laughs> Ganesh, the god of obstacles, take carries that to remind himself that even the god of obstacles is not exempt from obstacles. Oh, that's beautiful. I haven't heard that story. I have <laughs> certainly heard that, you know, he broke off the tusk to write with it. Um, the profound, Oh, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, yeah. that's an important yeah. one for us. So he broke it off to, to write, and, and from that flowed um, the Hindu scriptures with Ganesh as the scribe. So um, that brings us to uh, uh, the conclusion of our program today, and um, I'm just so delighted um, that you join me again and want to remind our listeners that there are several programs where we've had an opportunity to talk and they can visit um, the archives there at Unity Online Radio to find other programs with us. Um, I want to remind you again to visit Mark's uh, website, marknepo.com or threeintentions.com. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 